So our mission as a church is we want to help you say yes, help people say yes to Jesus. Whatever, whatever God is calling you to do, we want you to say yes to it. And uh, for a lot of us, if you've grown up in church, it's the whole idea of saying yes to Jesus is saying yes to him one time and you give your life to him and, and, and trust him and follow him. And, and that's true. That's the first and most significant yes. But for, for all of us, God is always calling you and I to say yes to something else. You look, at, you look in scripture, some of the people that we've looked at in the first few weeks of, of uh, our series, The Story, you look at their lives and it was, it was a, an, an instant moment of saying yes, but then it was a series of yeses that came after that. There was constantly a call to continue to follow, to continue to say yes, to sacrifice more, to do something different. And, and, and we have to be careful not to reach a point where we, we hang our hat on something we said yes to 10 years ago. Jesus is calling you to say yes to something today. And when he's calling you to say yes to something, uh, what you got to understand is there's going to be barriers. There are going to be things that are, that are going to, that are going to cause you to, to question whether or not you're good enough to do it, whether or not God knows what he's doing and calling you. And those would be uh, internal conflict. And then there's also uh, external circumstances and external obstacles. And those are things that, that are beyond your control, but there's always going to be obstacles. There's always going to be barriers because we've got to always remember that the enemy does not want us to say yes. And so once we say yes, if you grew up in a church where, where they told you that saying yes to Jesus meant all your problems went away and your life got easier, somebody was lying to you. It doesn't get any easier. And I would actually tell you it gets more difficult. So if you're in here and you've never given your life to Jesus, I'm probably not doing a great job of convincing you that you should. But, but I want you to know that the, the reality is the, the promise we have is the presence of the God that's sovereign over everything will be with us when we say yes to follow and do whatever it is that he's asking us to do and whatever it is that he's calling us to. And the thought that I want you to, to carry with you all this morning, all of us to carry, is, is one question. What barriers am I allowing to keep me from saying yes to Jesus? What barriers am I allowing to keep me from saying yes to Jesus? Because as I said, God's always calling us. He's calling you, he's calling me to say yes to something. And the, and the response for most of us, unfortunately, is not yes. The response is questions, excuses, barriers, hindrances, reasons to not say yes. And so I want you to, to, to just carry that as we talk through the life of Moses in the story chapter 4. What barriers am I allowing to keep me from saying yes to Jesus? So we're into chapter 4 of the story. Who read chapter 4 this week leading up to it? Good. Um, if you did not, I can only assume you didn't because you don't have the book. So... Um, if you would like to get a copy of the book, we still have plenty of copies left. It costs $5. Encourage you to get that and, and follow along with us each week. Read the, the chapter, do the devotion on the website and the, the recap, and just continue to have a constant dialogue and conversation uh, internally between you and God and also with your family, with your missional community, and continue to grow in your walk and your understanding of a God that loved you, created you, redeems you and wants to reveal his story to you. And so we're into the, the story of Moses, which is chapter four. So from the death of Joseph, we talked about last week to the birth of Moses, about 430 years has passed. And the nation of Israel spent about 400 years in captivity in Egypt. So after Joseph died, a Pharaoh uh, arose that didn't know him. And so he began to fear that, that the, the people of Israel who were living among them would one day supplant them and take over their empire. And so they said, well, what we need to do is we just need to make them slaves. And so for 400 years, the nation of Israel existed in Egypt as slaves to them, building cities for them. And in Exodus chapter 2, Moses is born. 
And when he's born, the decree had gone out from Pharaoh that all, baby, all male-born babies to the, the people of Israel were to be thrown in the Nile River and killed. Like that's the, I guess that's uh, controlling the population 101 is just kill all the baby boys. So, that, so that's what they're supposed to be doing. But Moses' parents said no. They said, we're not going to do that. We're going to spare his life. And so they kept him. And when he reached an age where they could no longer hide him anymore, they put him in a basket and sent him down, uh, sent him down the Nile River. And it came to Pharaoh's daughter. And they had no idea who it was going to arrive at, but it arrived at, at her feet. And she saw it. And the Bible says that when she heard it cry, she had compassion. A lot of you, a lot of you ladies, you can make that connection. For me, when babies cry, last thing I feel is compassion, right? It's, what do we got to do to shut that up? Um, <laughs> Whether it's mine or yours, I don't like to hear babies cry. So, um, but anyway, so the baby cries, and crazy enough, the woman's like, we should, we should hold this baby, where I'm like, send it down the river. Someone else will take care of it. Um, but this is Pharaoh's daughter, right? So remember, her dad said any male-born babies of the Israelites are to be killed. So certainly, you would think that he would not be on board with Moses being allowed to live. But somehow, in God's ultimate sovereign hand, the daughter of Pharaoh had compassion on Moses, and somehow Pharaoh allowed Moses to not only live, but to be raised in his home. And a lot of theologians would tell you that Moses was in line to be the next Pharaoh. So to reign over maybe the, the most powerful empire in the known world, and Moses was in line to be the ruler of that empire. But he grew up with this tension because he knew as he grew up, he knew what his identity was. He knew he was an Israelite, and he knew he was being raised in an Egyptian home and in the Egyptian ways. And so he wrestled with this tension of, of what he was being raised to be, but really who he was. And so as, as an Israelite, one day he was out and he saw an Egyptian taskmaster beating one of his fellow countrymen. And so he killed that Egyptian and buried him in the sand and thought no one would ever know about it. But the story spread and the word got out and the Egyptians wanted Moses dead. Pharaoh wanted Moses dead. And so he ran to a place called Midian and spent the next 40 years of his life, of his adult life, tending sheep. He was a shepherd. And so for 40 years, listen, listen, some of us today, you find yourself in a moment. I find myself in moments sometimes where we're waiting on God. We're waiting. And it seems like, it seems like the waiting or in Moses's case, waiting in preparation. Moses probably thought his life was over. Like, this is it for me. I can't go back to Egypt. I can't go back to, to my family. I'm just going to hang out here and be a shepherd for the rest of my life. And he probably thought that God was done with him. And what we're about to see in just a minute is God was not done with him. And this morning, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know where you're at. But some of you may be in a place right now where the thoughts running through your mind are, my life is over. Like this, this, this is it for me. And I want you to know if you still have breath in your lungs, God is not done with you. And as we said last week, you're not writing the story. I'm not writing the story. God is the one that's writing the story. And if we are still alive, the sovereign ruler of everything still has a purpose and a plan for our life. We may not understand it right now. We may be like Moses where it's like, man, I'm a shepherd and this is the best my life is going to amount to. But God says, Moses, I have a plan for you that's greater than you can possibly imagine. In these last 40 years for you, you thought you were tending sheep. I was preparing you to lead a nation and an empire of people. And in Exodus chapter 3, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Now, I'm a pyro. Like, I, I, I still, I'm an adult. I still play with matches. Um, and, and so I imagine Mo, I, I can connect with Moses. Like, man, there's a tree that's on fire, but it's not being consumed. 
Like I would be all over going and checking that out in our pre-launch season. I was given the nickname Lord of the Flame uh, for my fire pit uh, ways. I actually think I gave myself that nickname, but, um, but that, that's, not, that's a story for another time. Uh, it's still valid. So, so, I'm with, so I'm like tracking with Moses, like I get it. And so it says, so Moses thought I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, and notice what it said. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. But when God saw that Moses went over there, God shows up and it says, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. God proceeded to tell Moses that he'd heard the cries of his people, that he was going to deliver them from the hands of the Egyptians and lead them to the land that he had promised their father, Abraham. And Moses is tracking. Moses is like, man, God, you're awesome. That is a great plan. I hope you have much success with that plan. Like, go get, go get them, deliver them, you know, kill a few Egyptians for me. Like, go, go and do that, God. I'm totally on board. And then, and then God says to Moses, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, look at what he says. He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? We immediately see a barrier. Moses says, says, says who am I? He says, I, I, I can't do that. There's, there's internal conflict. And, and Moses had valid reasons to ask that question. He was an Israelite who grew up in the home of an Egyptian and now, and killed an Egyptian, Pharaoh and all of Egypt wants him dead. And God wants him to go back face to face with Pharaoh and not only appear in front of Pharaoh, but say, hey, Pharaoh, those va that valuable group of slaves that are building entire cities and nations for you, I want you to go ahead and release them. And Moses is like, who am I? that I should do that. And, and God, not only that, but these last 40 years where you were preparing me for this great calling, don't you know in Egypt the most despised profession is a shepherd? So now I'm a shepherd who's also not sure if I'm an Israelite or an Egyptian who killed an Egyptian. They want me dead. And you want me to go do what? Like, who am I that you should send me? We ask that question a lot in our own lives. It's a question that springs from our own insecurities. God, do you really know who you're calling? God, I can't do that. I'm not smart enough. Some of you, have you met? God, have you seen my family? You want us to do what? You know, God's calling you to do something, and, and, and you throw these excuses out there, these barriers out there. I'm too sinful. God, you could never use me. And God responds to Moses and says, Moses, I will be with you. But notice what God does not say. God never addresses Moses' question about who am I, because the question of who am I when God is calling us is completely irrelevant. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who I am. God says what matters is who I am. And I'm telling you that I am will be with you. I will be with you wherever you go. Because I am leading and guiding you. You don't need to worry about who you are because you can trust in who I am. God never addresses the question who I am. I think it's an internal question that reveals pride. Like think about it for a second. Who am I that you should call me? Think about what God's calling you to say yes to right now. What God's calling me to say yes to right now. Who am I that you would call me to do that? In essence, what we're saying to God is, God, I'm smarter than you. I know better than you what qualifications you should be looking for. And how arrogant is it of us to think that God would call us and then we could say anything to make him have an aha moment where he goes, oh yeah, I didn't even think about that. I'm so, I'm so glad my creation is so smart 
that he knows better than the creator what I'm calling him to do, what I'm calling her to do. Questioning God's ability to discern who he's calling. God never asks you and I to know who we are, but he does ask us to trust who he is. And he says, I'm the one that's calling you. I think about Paul in Corinthians. Paul in the book of Corinthians had some type of uh, infirmity, illness, or physical uh, limitation, and it, it really bothered him. And three times he said, God, I want you to remove this. I want you to, to take this away from me. And every time God said to him, no, I won't because my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is all you need. What he was saying to, what he was saying to Paul is sometimes those limitations are a good thing, because it's an opportunity for God's grace to be revealed in our life. Sometimes those limitations are a good thing because it keeps us from taking the glory and the credit for the things that we do that are supposed to bring honor and glory to him. He says, Paul, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to constantly remind you that without me, you can do nothing. Romans 8.31 says that if God is for us, who can stand against us? So if God is calling you, it doesn't matter who you are because if God is for you, who can stand against you? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is nobody. So in any setting, no matter what God is calling you and I to do, God plus me is always the majority. And so God says to Moses, it doesn't matter who you are. This conversation isn't about you. This conversation is about who I am. This conversation is about me. I'm not calling you to go magnify and glorify yourself. I'm calling you to say yes to honor and glorify and magnify me. So I'm the only one that matters. So who you are doesn't matter. I'm just going to tell you that I'm going to be with you. And that should be enough for you to say yes. And Moses, that's not enough for Moses. Moses goes on and says, um, says, yeah, but God, what if they don't believe? Like, what if, who, who do I tell them sent me? He says, you tell them I am that I am sent you. You tell them Yahweh. He is who he is. You go back and tell the people that the God who is so magnificent, words in your language can't even come up, come up with a definition that makes sense. You tell them that God, the God of their father, Abraham, Jacob and Isaac, you tell them that God sent you to deliver them from the Egyptians and they will listen to you. And Moses continues to see barriers. He says to God, I'm not a good speaker. Again, it's all internal. It's all looking inward. And the problem is when we look inward, we see our insecurities. We see our inferiorities. We see our limitations. And the problem for most of us is we got to stop looking at me and we got to start looking at him. We've got to get our eyes off of focusing inward and get them focusing upward. And in, in, in uh, Hebrews, it says to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. When I get my eyes on me, I see my pride, my sinfulness, my imperfections, my inability to do anything that God has called me to do. And that's why God always tells me, stop thinking about you and start focusing on me. And so Moses says, I'm not a good speaker. God gives him his brother, Aaron, to speak for him. And then finally, Moses just gets down to where his head's at. And he just says, man, just send somebody else. Like, <laughs> enough. You know, I, I, I got no more excuses. I'm just going to be straight up. Now, I just don't want to do it. You know, for some of us in here this morning, that's, that's the issue is it's just disobedience. We know he's calling us. We know he's everything that he said he is and can do everything that he said he can do. And the reason we're not saying yes is we just, we just plain and simple don't want to do it. And we're just saying no and being disobedient to God. And finally, it says that God's anger <laughs> was kindled against Moses. And I'm pretty sure that's not a good thing. So eventually Moses says yes. It's a reluctant yes, but he says yes. So he goes before Pharaoh. 
Exodus 5, verse 1 and 2. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh. I always find it interesting about Aaron. God never called Aaron. God called Moses. But because of Moses' limitations and doubt, God gave Aaron to Moses as a way to, uh, to support him. But Aaron was never needed. Aaron was given because he didn't have enough faith in God to do it himself. It says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Now, if I'm Moses, I'm going, okay, God, I've, I've risked it all. I've braved it all. I'm in front of Pharaoh. Like I, I, I faced the demons. I've removed the barriers. Th this should go really easy. Pharaoh, let him go. Pharaoh's like, oh, that God, Yahweh. Yeah, certainly go. It says, Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Moses is probably like, He's not a fan of that question. <laughs> Who is the Lord that I should obey him? I've, I've asked him, trust me, it's not going to end well for you. That I should obey him and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and I'll not let Israel go. So Pharaoh says no. It's another barrier. But this is an external barrier. This is the barriers that come into our lives that we don't have any control over. Moses faced the barriers that he, that he could do something about, and then now he's in a position where he has to rely on God to do something about the barriers that he can't fix. We experience, we experience external opposition when we say yes. People who doubt you, people who resist or stand in your way, people who mock you. Moses experienced all of that. And he continues to track forward anyway. He continues to remove the barriers as they are, are placed in his path, continuing to say yes to what God is calling him to do. And for a period of time, there's a back and forth with miracles. And then, uh, and then God sends the plagues. Uh, one of the plagues was the Nile River being turned to blood. There were the plague of, uh, of frogs, of lice. That one really wouldn't bother me. Um, flies. Flies. We were with our neighbors last weekend and like uh, watching football. And there were so many flies. I've never seen so many flies in my life. I can't imagine this plague. Like, it was so bad. I was looking for some Israelite slaves to free. Like, I'm like, God, just get, the, get these flies out of here. Um, darkness, thunder, hail. After the last week and a half, I almost wonder if rain should have been one of the plagues. Um, but through every plague, it says God hardened the heart of Pharaoh because God was using Pharaoh to say no so that it would set God up for his ultimate display of his glory and, and his power. And then the 10th plague came along, which is the, the killing of the firstborn males of all the Egyptian empire. Now, now I know that the Israelite people were slaves in Egypt. So God never says you're going to be spared from this plague. He says you'll be spared from this plague if you follow these instructions. Exodus 12, verse 12 and 13 says, On that same night, I will pass through Egypt, and I'll strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, I will bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So with the instruction they were given is they were told that they had to take a lamb, a spotless lamb, without blemish, couldn't have a broken bone. And they had to slaughter that lamb. And they had to take the blood of that lamb and they had to place it on the doorpost of their home. And God said, if I see the blood, when the angel comes through, if they, if they see the blood... They will spare that house and all of those in that house. That is the only provision. Now, if the Israelites had been like, man, we're, you know, like me, I don't, I don't like blood. I don't like the sight of blood. And they were like, man, we're not really, we don't really dig the whole blood idea. We've come up with some better solutions. We're just going to be really good. Or, hey, God, we're going to stay up all night praying. Right? We're, we're, we're going to clean our houses and we're going to pray. And, and when that angel passes through, it's never going to have seen a more spotless and beautiful house. 
We're going we're gonna to live good lives. Right? We're going we're gonna to be kind to our neighbors. We're going to help old ladies across the street. We're going to do all that, all that good stuff that you're supposed to do as humans. And how about if we do that for like, we'll say, let's say a week. We do that for a week, you'll, you'll spare us, right? And God says, no, the only provision for you is if you follow the instructions, if you slaughter the animal, and if the blood is seen on the door frame of the house. We've talked before as we've been moving through the story about moments in, uh, in the Old Testament that point ahead to the cross. And this is one of those moments. The Bible refers to Jesus as the ultimate Passover lamb, as our, our Passover lamb, our sacrifice. And that the only provision for us, the only way to gain access to God, our Father, is through the blood of Jesus. You see, we, we, we think that we can come up with, with other ways. Hey, if I, if I lead a missional community, right? If I if I'm on, serve on a ministry team, if I tithe, if I, I show up for church every Sunday, if I go to the 12 o'clock service starting next week, you might actually get into heaven on that one. But if, but if I go to the 12 o'clock service, you know, if, if I do all of these things, like if I'm, if I'm a good person, surely God's going to let me into heaven. And God says, no, the only provision is to put your hope and faith in the spotless blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. That's it. And it's a pointing forward to the cross, to what Jesus had done. They had no idea what, what, they, were, what they were pointing ahead to, but they were pointing ahead to the, the work of Jesus on the cross when he redeemed us, when he gave his life sacrificially for every single one of us to pay for our sins. You can try to be a good person, and, and listen, if the, if the standard for getting into to, to heaven and being reconciled to God was to be a good person, you might be okay, but that's not the standard. The standard is perfection. You're not, and you're not compared to anybody else. You're compared to a sinless and holy God who loved you and I enough to send his son to die to pay the sin debt that we could never hope to pay. And he says the only provision is to put your hope and faith in him. Nothing else. <clears throat> the story goes on. And Pharaoh, in a moment of rage, releases the people. And then in Exodus 14, 5, it says that he quickly changed his mind and they begin to chase and pursue the Egyptians. And the Egyptians are closing in and, and, and the Israelites are, are, are gaining ground and getting close to the Red Sea, actually the, the Sea of Aqaba, which is off of the Red Sea. And they're getting to this point where all of a sudden it's like all they can see in front of them is this sea that's like 10 miles wide. And they're like, there's 3 million of us, we're not going to swim that. And then it's like this great dramatic movie scene. And then you look behind you and the, the pursuer, the enemy, are, they're closing fast. And there's, there's literally nowhere else to go. And in Exodus 14.10, it says, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Sometimes I would hate to be Moses. <laughs> He's, was, this is what they say to Moses. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Right, like if there were burial grounds in Egypt, would you have just left us there so they could kill us? No, you led us out in the wilderness. All those miracles, all that stuff that God did, the deliverance, that was all just a big smoke screen so you could bring us out in the wilderness and kill us? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? No, for years and generations they cried out to God and it says that God heard the cries of his people. 
It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. If I were Moses, I'd have been like, God, let the Egyptians kill him in the desert, right? Like, come on, after all that you've done for them, and this is what they're going to do. And we're going to spend the next couple of weeks hanging out with the, the Israelites, and they're going to get on your nerves a lot because they're just like we are. And so they're in this, this, this moment where it's the, the sea in front of them, the enemy approaching fast behind them. It's that rock in a hard place moment that a lot of us find ourselves in. And I think God intentionally leads us to those places because it's in those places we realize we have nowhere else to turn. It's in those places that we, that we, we find reaching out to God as our last resort. And then later we realize it should have been the first instinct to reach out to him no matter what before we ever got in that place. But God leads us there because he wants there to be no question of who gets the glory, of who gets the credit and the praise when he does the miraculous. Then in verse 13, Moses answered the people, does not say what I would have said, but he says, do not be afraid. Remember, this is the same Moses that not too long ago stood before a burning bush and said, I am afraid. I'm, af I'm afraid for my life. They want me dead. And God hasn't spoken yet. It's not like God gave Moses instructions and said, tell the people not be afraid. Moses is speaking in faith. He says, don't be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today will never see, you will never see again, because the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. You only need to be still. Some of you in here need a miracle, right? We all go through phases in life where we need God to do the miraculous. And the word to us when we're in those moments is to be still. You know, some of us need a miracle. And the reason God can't perform a miracle is because we won't get out of his way. It's like, God, I need you to do a miracle, but I'm going to control everything. God, I need you to, to do something unbelievable and unthinkable, but I'm not going to take my hands off the wheel to, to sit back and watch and wait for you to do it. And, God's, and God says to Moses, uh, to, to the people through Moses, if you want to see God work, you got to be still. You got to trust him. You got to lean on him. He speaks in faith about what God's going to do. And God tells Moses to tell the people to keep moving. So they begin to climb down to the edge of the sea. And in Exodus 14, 19, it says, The angel of the Lord who had been traveling in front of Israel's armies withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of the cloud also moved from in front and stood, before, stood behind them. Coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove back uh, with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. You know, when we read these stories a lot of times, I don't, I don't know about you, but like, it's like watching the movie The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. It's like Moses stands up and puts his arms out, and it's like, whoosh, the water's gone. They, it's like, a, it's in my mind, it's like a 15-minute, like, miracle that's happened. But twice in these verses, you see that, it, that this event took place overnight, all night long, right? We, we, we pray for deliverance. We ask God to work. And sometimes it, it, there's a season of waiting. There's a, there's a process of time. Can you imagine what it was like 
to walk three million people through a, a, through a, a, a seabed that was several miles wide? Like it's, like, it's a process. It takes me 30 minutes to get my kids' shoes on and in the car. And I got three of them. I can't imagine what it would be like to walk three million complaining, whining Israelites through this river or through this sea. It was a process. There, there, there was a, a lot of time to be terrified, to be fearful, to question whether or not the, the yes that Moses said, what Moses said yes to was the right yes. But they continued to pursue. They continued to, to follow God. They continued to, to walk through. And then it says the Egyptian army followed them into the sea. And as they got close, God threw the Egyptian army into confusion and made it hard to drive. And in the middle of the sea, they start to, to go, wait a second, we may have made a mistake. And one of the neatest things about this story is it says the Egyptian army recognized. Remember what Moses said? He said, Yahweh, God will fight for you. It says the Egyptian army recognized that Yahweh was fighting for the Israelites. Whether they realized it or not, the Egyptians knew it. But it was too late to retreat. Moses raises his arms up. The sea comes crashing back in and kills the entire Egyptian army. And all because Moses was willing to say yes. Right, like his story, which is the beginning of the story of Moses, but, but, the, but this, this uh, season of life for Moses all started back when he stood in front of a, a burning bush that said, that said, follow me. That said, say yes to what I'm calling you to do. I understand it does not make sense. I'm not asking you to understand what I'm calling you to do. I'm asking you to say yes because you trust in me. And Moses said yes, and over and over throughout the story, there were barriers there were moments where he had to question whether or not he was making the right decision. There were moments where the people questioned whether or not they should be following him. And time after time, when presented and confronted with a barrier, Moses removed the barriers he could and then stood back and was still and watched God remove the ones that he couldn't. And every one of us in here this morning, God is calling you to say yes to something. I have no idea what it is. He's calling every one of us to say yes. And when I start talking about what's your yes, you know. Some of you in here, as soon as you, start, you say the word say yes to Jesus, you know what he's calling you to say yes to. And the question is, what is the barriers that you're allowing to keep you from saying yes? Maybe it's something like sharing your your faith with a neighbor, God's been placing someone on your heart and you know that you need to reach out to them and serve them and engage with them relationally and, and you've just been disobedient up to this point or you've come up with reasons why you don't want to pursue that relationship. Maybe it's leading a missional community. We, we talk about that a lot. God's really been working with me about as we've been transitioning through going to three services and uh, potentially moving spaces and that I don't want missional living and missional community to get, to get lost in the wash. I've said this before, but we're never going to lose sleep at night over paying mortgage payments and bills. It's always going to be about reaching more people for Jesus, about helping more people to say yes to Jesus. But there's always going to be barriers and things that are, that are going um, that, that to get in your way. And maybe it's a missional community and you sense God is saying, you need to lead this. You need to start something in your community. And you've come up with a whole list of reasons why you need to say no or why God doesn't know what he's talking about when he's calling you to do that. We had a couple of high school students approach Jennifer and I 
and we're meeting with them Tuesday because they said, we, wanna, we feel like God's calling us to start a missional community in Corinth Holder High School, and we don't know what to do. So I'm like, well, we'll, we'll, let's, we'll figure that out together. But they're not allowing the fact that they don't know what the, next, what the next step is, that they don't know what the process looks like to keep them from saying yes. They said yes, and now they're saying, help us figure out what yes looks like. But we're all in. We're saying yes. Maybe some, some of you in here, God's calling you to start a church. And you're fighting or resisting that because you, you say, well, man, if I start a church, that means I've got to quit my job. That's absolutely what it may mean. But is your God big enough to provide for you? Is your God big enough to take care of your family? Because a lot of times we say no because, because saying yes means we have to relinquish control. And God's calling every one of us to say yes to something. And under, I think it's this side, uh, the, the end rows, everyone has a, uh, what are they? they're called shims. I was corrected. I call them paint stirrers. They're not. They're shims. Um, I'm going to stir paint with them just to prove that I'm wrong. Uh, but if you would on the end row, just grab that stack and take one and, and pass it on down, uh, down the row. I want everybody to have one. It's wood. They have splinters. So nobody come up to me afterwards and be like, oh, a splinter. It's a piece of wood. So... <clears throat> Put on your gloves if you need to, if you're a diva. Um, <clears throat> don't let your barrier be a splinter. Um, all right, so everybody, and you see it says, it says burn the barrier. Um, we have a story planning team, and, and we talked about, like, what, what could we do to, to maybe make this a little bit more impactful? One of the things for me is I don't want the conversation to end here. What God's doing in your heart. I don't want it to end when you walk out of here and go, okay, we'll pick this up next Sunday. I want you to continue this conversation and continue to allow the Holy Spirit to work in all of our lives. And so what we want you to do is when you get home, we want you to write down on there, what is your barrier? What is, what is keeping you from saying yes to Jesus? Whatever he's calling your next yes to be, is it fear? Is it la la lack of control? What if, what if I fail? What is it? Is, is it, you know, an, an insecurity? What is the barrier that keeps you from saying yes to Jesus? And then as I said before, I'm a, I'm a pyro. So then what I want you to do is I want you to burn them. Symbolically saying to God, I am removing this barrier. This, this barrier is not going to be the reason that I say no any longer. And I don't know what it is that God's calling you to say yes to, but if he's calling you to say yes and you haven't said yes yet, there's a barrier. There's a reason for it. And so I want us to identify him, and I want you to burn it. Just don't burn your house down, too. Just, just burn that, and you'll, you'll be good. But, <clears throat> man, God is calling every one of us to say yes. And what is the barriers that we're allowing to keep us from saying yes to him? Let's pray. Father, I know in my life the times that I've not said yes when I should have and that I've lost sight of you and focused on the barriers. Pray for everyone in here, whatever it is that's keeping them from saying yes, that you would help them remove that barrier. Identify it. burn it, symbolizing to you and to them that this is not, this no longer will be the reason that I say no. God, we 
at heart. And we, one of the things we say around here is we want to be change-making followers of Jesus. Sometimes I, sometimes I think we're just kind of along for the ride. We're not really making any change for the kingdom. I know you're calling us to say yes. Pray that we would.